In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there is no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. God's word. It's been about waiting. Uh, For the kids and maybe the kids in all of us, (laughs) I'm a little bit of a kid myself, uh, it can be about waiting and hanging out for those presents that you know are under the tree, that you can see the shape and the size and feel the weight of, and you're waiting and anticipating what that's, what's going to be in there. Counting the days, trying to guess. For others, it's not so much about receiving the presents, is it? But it's about giving them. And you've given a lot of thought and energy and carefulness, maybe a bit of saving up as well, in order to be able to give a gift to people that you know they'll like. And you've been waiting. You've been waiting for them to unwrap it and see what's inside. And you are watching their face to see what it's See the joy that's there, the thankfulness, the the delight in what you've given them. For some of us, maybe, we've been waiting just for the stress and the busyness of the season and the year to end. And finally, at the end of today, or maybe the end of tomorrow, it'll all be over and behind us. In a very real sense, Christmas has, has always been about waiting for something wonderful. But honestly, for the people of God, who followed God a long, long time ago, it's often been waiting, waiting for something wonderful, but from a really dark and painful place. We're about to read something from a letter that God wrote to his people 700 years before the first Christmas. There's a fair bit of waiting still to come for these people. 700 years before the first Christmas, God wrote his letter of people because God's people are not having fun. They've really discovered how hard a place the world can be. Over the past 100 years, they've had some really nasty foreign emperors destroy their nation in battle and cart them off to another culture, 
and they've taken away their religion and their culture and their way of life and everything that's precious and, and good and home to them. And they're kind of hoping for things to turn around. They're looking for their joy to the world moment. When are things going to change? After generations of living in pain and suffering, they're longing, aching, yearning for a big fix to their problems. And God's writing to them now a message of hope. A message of hope. Of great hope. And the message is that someone, in our passage it's called the servant, it's actually Jesus, is coming to fix the problem. That's the message of hope. Someone's coming to fix the problem. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 42, just four verses, where it says, where God, God speaks, and God is saying, Behold, look, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I noticed that the original Christmas came and went 2,000 years ago and things are better in fact, maybe things are a fair bit better, but things still don't seem fixed, do they? There seems to be a lot broken in the world. We've just read from the catalogue where some pretty awful things are happening. We all know the ads on the TV, don't we? Where those starving children are placed in front of us and they've got flies on their face. And so many of them aren't there that we hardly even know what to do about it. And we hear about the war in Ukraine and other places. People are dying. Maybe you've seen footage of grenades being dropped from drones. Starvation as the food supply is interrupted. And then this week we hear you know, new alliances between countries like China and South Korea and Russia. And honestly, we just, we're not sure what their ultimate goal is. I look at all of this and it, it still seems like there's so much injustice and pain and brokenness in the world that still needs a solution. And so the first thing I want us to notice about this hope that God is promising is that God thinks the same thing. The first couple of verses here uh, talk about this person, Jesus, the servant, and he's someone in verse 1, it's not still up there, maybe we can put it back up there again, he's someone in verse 1 in whom the very soul of God delights. Have you, have you thought about that? 
This person, Jesus, is so perfectly aligned with what God wants that God's soul delights in him. In fact, he's so perfect that God has placed his spirit on him, confirming that Jesus represents God on a perfect level. And what is this servant Jesus going to do? Well, the great and wonderful hope that's promised is he's going to bring justice. He's bringing justice. And honestly, we need a perfect bringer of justice. We need that. To someone to right the wrongs of the world. Honestly, I don't, I don't know if anyone here is going to disagree with me here. It's a beautiful thing that I think many of us desire. We want to see the kids starving on the TV fed. We want to see the wars in Ukraine and elsewhere end. We want to see good rulers around the world making treaties to do good things. And, and wouldn't it be wonderful to see things fixed here at home too? Terrible news in the past week or so about the shootings up in Queensland. We're pained when we hear about domestic abuse in our suburbs. And it's awful to think of the kids around the corner whose parents are so high or drunk or whatever that they they can't even provide for them. When we hear about stuff like that, the idea of someone bringing perfect justice, fixing all the problems sounds beautiful. It sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds wonderful. But maybe if we, if we think about it, and, it, and if all that is true, we might actually have a bit of a problem. If you have a look at verse 4, uh, you'll see something that's both wonderful, but also a little bit scary. It says that Jesus won't rest until justice is complete. Verse 4 says he won't grow faint or be discouraged until true justice is established. Until it's spread even out to the coastlines, to the limits of the country of the world. It's going to be everywhere, near and far. And that does sound good. But, If injustice is way out there with world hunger and wars and all the the terrible politics, and if it's just down the road with, with violence and domestic abuse and terrible parenting, then perhaps we have to consider that it's also right here in this room, in our hearts and in our lives, That's a hard thought maybe, isn't it? Maybe that's where you draw the line and you tell me I'm wrong and you push back on me a little bit and that's okay. But personally, I have to admit that yesterday, yesterday, Christmas Eve, while my wife and I are wrapping presents for the kids on a joyful day when we give out of our love, I spoke rudely to my wife. I dragged her down for no good reason other than being a bit tired and a bit stressed. And, you know, I can say lots of things. Like, I can say that I apologised and it wasn't that bad and, and no one got really hurt and no one died. 
but it sure seemed like injustice to her. And that's me. So for me, the scary bit is, if this perfect servant Jesus has come and is coming again, and who because of his perfection and goodness and his love for this planet and all the people on it, if he, because of those things, wants to bring a perfect type of justice, you know, the the justice that you spell with a capital J, the justice justice, where everybody's concerns and injustices are, are addressed and dealt with, then what happens to us who are sometimes the cause of that injustice? What happens to us? Because we are sometimes filled, aren't we, with workplace gossip, tearing down of other human beings who we work alongside every day. Or maybe, maybe just a couple of days ago, you, you just got off the phone to the customer service rep at Telstra who you've ripped into, even though they're just doing their job and they're powerless to really help you. Or which one of us hasn't been at some point a bad parent or a bad child or a bad partner? The big question, if all this is true, is what does it look like for defective broken, messed up people like we all are to encounter the perfect representative of God who's on a mission of justice. What does that encounter look like? If you've been on social media uh, to any great degree, you might have seen people uh, posting their meals to Gordon Ramsay. Uh, I don't know why anybody does this. <laughs> it's nuts. But people uh, cook a meal, and they've obviously put a lot of effort to it, and they're passionate about it, they're excited about it, they think they've done really well, and they take a photo of it, and they post it on social media, and they tag Gordon Ramsay, and they say, Gordon, will you rate my meal? And I think they're excited about what he's going to say. But if you know Gordon Ramsay at all, he very rarely says anything lovely, and he often tears them down. He says, oh, you need more of this. You, you need less of that. You cooked it too much. It's raw. It's terrible. It looks like vomit. Whatever he says, it's, it's very rarely good. And this is coming, isn't it, from one of the best chefs in the world, maybe. One of the very best chefs in the world who's, who's grown in his skills. He's seen how to do everything perfectly. He's, he's gotten better and better and better as the years go by. And it seems, this seems to be part of human nature, that the better that you get at something, the closer you get towards perfection, the more easily you recognize faults in other people's work. So Gordon Ramsay sees this stuff so clearly and easily straight away. I'm sitting there going, oh, it looks all right. And then he points out something and I go, oh, yeah, you're right. I do this too. Um, I've done a lot of jobs over my life. Uh, But one thing that I've spent a lot of time uh, learning and growing in skillfulness is welding. And I don't know how many people here weld. It's not really the point. But I've spent years and years and years training to the point where I'm I'm fairly good at it. If I weld something together, it stays together. It's not going to tear off or fall off or anything like that. It's going to stay put. And that's great, except when I go walking around the place and I walk down the street and I see a park bench, what am I looking at? I'm looking at the welds on it. If I walk over a pedestrian bridge, there's one particular pedestrian bridge 
that I'm thinking about, I won't tell you which one it is, look over that and I just go, how is this bridge staying together? Whoever put this together is an absolute muppet. They've got no idea what they're doing. It's, it leaps out at me. Because the better we get, the more easily we see the difference between us. So, what does it look like for someone who's not just a good person, but someone who's absolutely perfect, to walk around on our planet, to walk through our suburbs, to wander through our lounge room and see us interact with each other? What does it look like for perfection to meet with the defective, the broken, the failing? Now I'm conscious here that I'm not trying to bring down the Christmas spirit and break the mood and send you all off to your family lunches, you know, feeling bad about yourself and bad about the whole world. And, and I won't keep going there because the news, the rest of the news is absolutely amazing. See, we do need a perfect bringer of justice to solve the problems. We need that. But we need the gentle justice of a loving God. That's the type of justice we need, the gentle justice of a loving God. So justice is coming, what does it look like? Well, Jesus has come because he sees the problem. He agrees with it that it's there. He's not blind to humanity's problems. It's all painfully clear and obvious to him. So what's this justice going to be look like? I used to work um, a while ago now uh, with an older gentleman uh, who read the paper every day at lunch. Maybe you've been with one of those people, takes up about 99% of the desk that you're all eating at, opens up the paper and he reads through, he used to read through all the local news. This was down in Colac and he read through the local Colac news. And um, he'd, he'd read maybe about the, I think there was a, a young guy who was caught doing about 160 in an 80 zone and there was um, some drug addicts that had been caught stealing for, I don't know, like the 5, 10th or 20th time and there was some kids caught uh, doing donuts in the school parking lot in the middle of the night. And he'd, he'd read about this stuff and he'd read it out to everyone in his cantankerous old man voice. And uh, at the end of reading out what had happened, he'd sort of, he'd put his hands on the desk and he'd say, you know, if I were a judge, I'd be a hanging judge. And, and maybe you've met someone like that. That's, that's what it was like. He'd, his type of justice that he wanted to see come across was going to be harsh and absolute and scary and intimidating. That's who he was going to be and that's how he'd solve the problem. And, and maybe you've always felt that God is a hanging judge. You've heard something of the old fire and brimstone sermon. You've heard about all the rules in the Bible and maybe you think you know God's response. But don't forget, God is writing a message of hope to his people who are in trouble. Hope to people who are in trouble. And it's hope because of who the servant is. See, the, the, the rulers God's people were used to dealing with were hanging judges. They've just, they've just gotten through Assyria and um, Babylon and um, Persia's just around the corner. They're used to these empires of hanging judges and swift and harsh justice. When they took over... You knew about it. 
If you didn't conform to their idea of what was perfect and what the ideal culture and people looked like, well, there would be loud decrees in the streets, shouting with a a gleeful use and exercise of power. And there'd be soldiers alongside of them maybe to, to crush and break and make a public spectacle of anyone who resisted. And they would tear down a culture or community and build it back up with force and power to make it look what they wanted to look like, damaging anything and everything that got in their way. What does the Bible say Jesus is like? Well, verses 2 and 3 will show us. It says, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. This is poetic language that we can still understand today, I think. Uh, You see a river reed down by the water. I saw one uh, when I was a kid, and I just thought it looked like this beautiful thing just across the road from me, and we spent ages getting bitten by spiders trying to get it. But maybe you see one of these down by the river, and a storm has come past, and it's battered these reeds, and it's, it's bent them over, it's, it's sort of snapped them at that point there. You know what it's like, it breaks there and it's all bruised and shattered and broken, but still somehow hanging on. But Jesus doesn't tear something so delicate off. He, he straightens it up. Maybe he puts a little splint on it to give it some strength while it regrows. You walk past one of those scented candles. I don't know if you've got a scented candle in your house. We've got a couple in there. And sometimes they've been burning for a long time. And you walk past it and you see, don't you, just that, that tiny, tiny ball of flame, like smaller than a match head, just existing on the wick. Like you're surprised. How is this flame still sustaining itself? How is it still going? And the temptation would be just to go and blow it out. But Jesus doesn't do this. He doesn't even let the slight breeze from his body waft it out as he goes past. He's careful with it. He he trims the wick. Maybe he somehow else. I'm not a candle expert. I don't know how you help these things. But he makes it. Maybe he lights it up a bit more. Puts a little fire under it. This is the way that God brings his justice. That Jesus brings his justice. It doesn't mean that justice halts, but it does mean that the way he brings about justice is with gentleness and compassion and tenderness. The penalty, the judgment, the consequences of all the injustice still need to be paid. Why? Because Jesus loves people and he hates seeing them abused and hurt. But instead of placing that penalty on us, He places it on himself. Christmas Day, isn't it, is about um, the coming of the servant Jesus. But if we fast forward a few months to Easter, we see the gentleness of Jesus' judgment there, where the penalty of our brokenness and dysfunction is placed on his shoulders. That's the day he dies, isn't it? Easter. Today he takes it all, all the injustice, 
He dies to preserve the bruised reed and the smoldering wick. Christmas is beautiful because God's servant Jesus is beautiful. And not in some soppy hallmark way where we think of him as some, you know, vaguely relevant Santa Claus. Jesus is beautiful because he loves justice so much. Because he loves the broken so much. And when he sees, when his justice is in danger of of harming the people he loves so much, what does he do? Instead of putting the people he loves in danger, he puts his own life on the line. Hopefully I've I've made that clear. He stands in the way of his own justice when it comes to the people he loves. Now, I love this because it's something I honestly struggle to see anybody else doing. It would be nice if other people did this. Our own politicians won't give up their future careers, will they, to do what is right for the nation. And too worried about being voted in again. Our bosses won't come to work on Christmas Day so that the shift workers can have the day off with their families. People won't even give up a phone call in the quiet cabin of the train so that other people can have their sanity. Sometimes they put it on speakerphone in there. Like people don't tend to sacrifice themselves for others. But when Jesus meets with us, when perfection meets with the defective, part of his perfection means that he's willing to take the terrible, terrible hit so that we don't have to. What's Jesus like? He loves justice, he loves people, and he treats us with gentleness, compassion, and self-sacrifice. His coming is our great message of hope. Now, I'm going to leave it there. Uh, But if you've got some questions about anything I've said, or want to push back a little bit, or or you want to know something else about Jesus, or about how you'll make sure, how you can make sure that he'll do those things for you, then please come and chat with me, or probably just about anybody else. Uh, General rule of thumb, if anybody's willing to make eye contact with you for more than a second, they're probably willing to chat about these things. So have a chat with us. In the meantime... Hear God's message of hope for you and pray with me. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas Day. Thank you for the coming of the long-waited-for servant, the one who brings justice, the one who's going to fix the problems of the world, the one who loves people, and the one who gave himself up for those people he loves. Thank you for this message of hope that you've been sharing with your people for not just hundreds or thousands, but many thousands of years. Thank you that you bring it to to us again today and that you share us with us. Share it with us. Thank you for your message of hope, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Just one last verse of encouragement where it says, Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel.